Our guest today is Wendell Long. Wendell is a self-storage investor who has been a serial entrepreneur his whole life. He got his start in the manufacturing equipment business and has been successfully operating that business for 20 plus years. In addition, he has over 30 years experience in commercial and residential real estate, including rezoning and development. He has five current commercial development projects, including warehousing facilities, self-storage and parking and commercial leasing. He opened his first self-storage facility in 2008 and is building and expanding his second and third facilities now. In this episode, we talked to Wendell about how he built his first self-storage facility in phases with modular units, the tax and financing benefits of using modular units, the biggest mistake he sees aspiring self-storage investors make, and some of the ways he creatively finances his self-storage deals. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash s. T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Wendell Long, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's uh, good to see your face. You know, we we met you on a few occasions at uh, some self-storage conventions and masterminds, but obviously it's it's been a while with 2020 and COVID and social distancing, but it's it's good to see your face again. Good to see you too, Neil. Yeah. So before we get into your real estate investing journey, we want to explore a little bit about this disease that you suffer from called serial entrepreneuritis. God, I can't even pronounce it. It's so bad. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, some of your non-real estate things that you were involved in before you got into real estate? Sure. You want to know that much about it? <laughs> just just the, 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 the basics. We started homeschooling in the early 70s when it wasn't popular. And our church came out of public school at that time. And we would get our schooling through in the morning and he needed something for us to do in the afternoon. He worked at a lumber yard. We started bringing lumber home. We started making wooden survey stakes and tomato stakes. And then we enjoyed that. And uh, I think 1976, he actually came home and worked with me. I would get distracted back then and maybe not stay on task. So he decided to come on and be there with me. And we worked together for a while, and then one of the economy dips we went through, there wasn't as much business there. We started in the equipment business. I love manufacturing equipment. He didn't like the automation as much as I did, but anyway, I'll never forget the quick story. He would, We were fixing up a piece of equipment. A gentleman was helping us, and I was always wanting to reach out to the next thing, and the guy just looked at my dad and said, you'd just plow that old mule, wouldn't you? <laughs> so that's how much I loved automation. And that's how we got into the woodworking machinery business and the automation side of it and really automating and help people grow their business more profitably into manufacturing. And that's expanded now into 
wood, plastics, non-ferrous metals, and also into granite countertops, which in the real estate business we can all relate to. Yeah. And we help, you know, help a lot of people, you know, that are frustrated with their business, labor, can't get labor, can't get the consistent quality or enough production out the door. So that's one of the things we do there. And then, um, you know, we had another downturn and I had been playing around with real estate some. We bought our first five-acre location and built our business and, you know, the equipment business and the stake manufacturing business and had a location for it away from the house. We literally started in our backyard. It's where we in our little three-sided shed. And my dad put his house up for the loan for us to have collateral in order to build that building, five acres and, well, 6,000 square foot building. And then, as like I said, one of the downturns, we said, you know, what I told one of my main guys, you take the equipment business and keep selling there. It's not enough for both of us. I'm heading off into the real estate world. That's something I'd done for 20 years at that time. I decided, as I guess, 2005. I needed to do more of that because I look back at the, you know, what it had built and net worth and, you know, profit and all those good things that come with real estate. And I needed to do more of it. So we got into single family residence, some, you know, buying, selling, lease options, rent to homes, owner finance, 50 or 60 deals in that area. But then I kept working with the commercial side, you know, bought a couple of warehouses. We still have today. They're still cash flowing great. And then we took the facility, the five acres, and started looking at it was too expensive to grow trees on. And two thousand, late 2007, we did a feasibility study and said we're ready to get in this business and had a full plan laid out till 2008 hit and there was no money to do it. Before we get into storage, I want to backtrack a little bit and get a little more, more understanding of what you're talking about with manufacturing. Are you talking like fairly advanced manufacturing equipment, CNC routers, uh, things like that. I mean, what's, uh, who's your, who's your primary end client? That's a great question, Neil. So what, where it started, yes, the CNC routers has been a big part of our business. Matter of fact, we developed what is now called nested base manufacturing. Used to, you would take a piece of plywood, you would take it to a saw and you would cut it, a table saw or maybe a saw with a sliding table on it. You would cut it to size or a big cutting machine. And you would have to take it to another operation to maybe cut the toe kick, another operation to drill some holes or cut a dado in it. And in 1995, I had a gentleman said, if you can give, if you can take a file, a CAD file out of, you know, this cabinet, the way I want to do it after I lay out my kitchen and how I want it done. And I can put it on one machine and do all those operations. I'll buy it. We did the first one in the country, in the world that I know of. We took a lot of arrows, but we made it work. Uh, it was so slow back then. They had a program called Second Shift. It took all night to generate the programs. <laughs> now those are done in literally seconds. Wow. Whenever you, uh, they're literally done in seconds from the time they draw a kitchen and lay it out and get every detail the way they want it to hit the button and it generates all the program and optimizes it on a sheet and they can then lay those, that sheet of material on there when it comes off, it's ready to assemble. Wow. Sorry for the segue folks, but I, this is, I, I sort of, I'm fascinated by automation and robotics and things like this. And I actually remember there's a good friend of mine who's a fellow sort of nerd who first told me about the whole idea of, um, of fabrication and the whole idea of, you know, CNC routers and 3D, 3D printing. 
Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, you know, this is going to, it's going to revolutionize the world. Now, I think he was thinking it was going to happen a lot faster and be maybe a little more observable. But if you're in that business, if you're in the business of manufacturing anything these days and you are not, don't have some sort of automation machine in there, you know, that's producing this thing, you're getting left behind probably. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, the labor, the labor pool is not there. It's not being trained. So it's extremely challenging for people to get out the door what they want when they want it. All right. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the the first time that the idea of storage uh, and you were starting to get into it when I interrupted you and wanted to geek out for a minute. Okay. But uh, when was the first thought where you had, you know, you said storage, storage is something I want to go into. Well, we were at a, um, one of our local real estate investment associations started up a commercial group. And so one night they invited one of the manufacturers. And at that time, that manufacturer actually had a financing part and he was part of that, a division. So he came down to our meeting and spoke about self-storage. And I got interested in it, decided I wanted to look into it some, actually I remember my daughter was telling my wife this week, my daughter and I went to Atlanta to a little session they had, you know, on self-storage and how to get, you know, just some promotion of it. And we drove down there and, you know, listened to what they had to say. We had the land and I said, this is something we need to look at. And we did. And I had everything, did our feasibility. It looked like everything was pretty good. Our traffic counts were a little bit low on the highway, but, we said we believe we can overcome that with marketing. And we, from there, you know, had everything laid out. I had actually had an investor who was willing to invest with us. And I also, uh, you know, Scott Myers, which you and I, I think is one of the ways we've gotten together here, had a home study course. One of the first things out there. And I had gotten his home study course and studied it. And, you know, well, I thought with a combination of that and this investor who was already in the business and owned several facilities, we were pretty safe. Until 2008 hit and there was no money. I said, well, we've got two choices. We can sit on our hands and wait on the economy to come back or we can be proactive and go do something. So we started clearing one acre of land at a time. We had some woods in the back of this five acres. Started renting some parking spaces. We had a few sea containers that we started renting out for storage. And then we started buying what I call movable storage units or modular. They're 10 by 20 units from the floor up. They're exactly the same as a, any self-storage building is, same doors. They just have their own floor system. And one of the ways we were able to do that was in from the equipment business, I had a lot of connections with people that would do equipment financing. So we were able to go and I got them, you know, found some of them that would do this financing on these these units because it was considered a piece of equipment instead of a ground-built facility. It was five-year short-term, kind of, well, somewhat high interest rate. It's not, I wouldn't call it. I mean, it was less than probably in the 6 to 8% interest rate, but it was a little bit higher. They didn't necessarily cash flow that great. But fast-forwarding to today, We've been able, everything we built is already paid for. We own the land anyway. And so that really built a good base for us to what you see on the top left of my background there, financial freedom. Gotcha. 
So um, let me dig into that a little bit. So you already had the land, correct? And you said it was about five acres? Yes. And you approached it. You were going to build a full-on self-storage facility there. And the time period, what was the time period again? 2007 is when we started. And then we were ready to pull the trigger in 2008. Gotcha. And then Great Recession hits. All the funding dries up. So now you got to get creative. And you, the land wasn't cleared at the time? Well, part of it was we still had our business on the, you know, probably the first two so acres on the front of the property, but then we had woods and all growing on the back of the property doing nothing, paying high taxes, property taxes <laughs> on the land that wasn't producing anything. Yeah. And so you clear the land. It was off right off of a highway? Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. And you had a feasibility study, which anybody, if, I don't know if you've experienced this on some real estate forums that are focused on self-storage, you'll have somebody come through and they'll go, I've, hey, I've heard about self-storage and I've got five acres of land and I want and I want to build storage on there. You know, <laughs> can somebody point me in the direction of a manufacturer to, you know, or a construction company to build it? And it's, you have to kind of go, hold on a second. Let's slow down for a second. Have you gotten a feasibility study done? A what? And you go, okay. So uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what's in, you know, what you recall about, you know, feasibility studies and what they discovered and what they're looking for. All right. That's a great question. So then I think to your point, Neil, the first thing is you got to see, is there a market there or is it undersupplied or oversupplied? And that's some of the things a feasibility study is going to show you and tell you. So they come in and look at all the competitors and they look at how many people are there. And compare, there's a ratio of square foot per capita, we call it, per person, somewhere in the six to seven, typically in the industry, a nationwide basis, a six to seven square foot per person. And we were in the three, you know, the, uh, maybe even two to three square foot per person. So we had a good market. We were in a little bit of a rural area at that time. It's grown a lot since then. You know, the other thing it told you was what maybe a little bit idea of what was kind of unit mixes and things like that. And then they look at things like traffic count. At that time, you know, that many years ago, internet was not as, you know, prevalent as it is today. We had to depend more on the drive-by traffic. Seeing a self-storage door used to be the big key. People just related when they would see that roll-up door, they could relate that to self-storage. So we had to take that into account. I think ideally it's 10,000 cars a day going by. We were like five or 6,000. So we were on the low side. But we were not too far from an intersection, which is a good thing. And also, the other thing that you look at is how many, what kind of income have you got? Yeah, I think Scott Myers teaches us if you, you know, if you got two nickels, people that got to have more than two nickels to rub together to afford it and be able to pay for it. They may can occupy it, but then can they consistently pay for it? So that was another thing that it does show you. So they give you all that information and kind of says you see either a green light or a red light. And at that time, We've got, we didn't have near the tools we've got to work with now, and that was a seven or $8,000 investment. Big investment for us to make, but it was a whole lot better to do that than it was to go out and spend several hundred thousand or million dollars in something that you don't know whether or not it's going to work. Yeah. Well, in most banks, if you end up wanting to do any kind of financing, and most banks are going to require you to get a feasibility study before they're going to loan you the money anyway. Correct. Correct. I can't think of, I can't think of many banks that would want to go down that road without a feasibility study. Absolutely not. 
And one of the things that you did that I love, it's one of the things I love about self-storage is that you built in phases. You know, you had five acres. You didn't fill that five acres immediately with, with storage, did you? That's a great point, and that's one of the beauties of, of going to this modular route and also even with the parking we've done. Because one thing we did, we didn't want to clear more than one acre at a time because I, I don't like all the government agencies that I call them the alphabet agencies that come down on you when you go clearing a lot of land. So we clear about an acre and we would stabilize that and get it, you know, the gravel down. And uh, and then we would bring in, as far as the storage units, we would bring in maybe a, well, basically what a tractor trailer would hold at a time, which was eight to 10 units is of those 10 by 20 units. And the product we were buying, we were bringing in from Betco and they were there in North Carolina. And we would bring them in, and they were just components, and we had to assemble them. And at that time, the economy was slow, and I had some technicians from our equipment business needed something to do. So they built some of the buildings, kept them on staff, and they're still with us today. Are those in, at that first location, do you still have those portables sitting there? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. They're so still part of it. They're still renting today. And have you, ever, have you ever built a fixed structure on that land, or is it all just parking and uh, portables? Well, it's just a just a parking, and I call them modulars because port. I, I like to define the difference in portables good, and modulars. Point. We have we have some portable units that I bought from another facility, or two different facilities, and we looked at that business, but it just wasn't a fit for our business model. And we still just rent those out. They sit there, and if occasionally we need to take one off site, we can, which we have a rollback truck. We pull them up on, but this, but these are these modular units can be moved around on the site, but they're not something you want to pull up on a truck and take out to a site and drop it off and go back and pick it up. Gotcha. We're not talking shipping containers here. These are specifically well, purpose-built self-storage. Those unit, the main portion of what we have, we do have a few shipping containers, but they definitely stay there too. And we each put some roll-up doors on some of those to make them look a little nicer. But that was some of the first things we did. But no, everything we've got from the beginning is still sitting there, ready to. You know, renting, rent it out. Gotcha. So one of the things that you mentioned, and I, this this sort of complicates our our main question, which is sort of the cost to buy, because you you mentioned that this this is equipment. You can you actually don't need to you actually able to finance it on you said about a five year term. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So probably will higher you know certainly higher payment than you know a thirty year AM on a, a commercial loan. But there's there's a couple of benefits that you get there. One is that it was probably easier to find that financing at the time in 2008. Would that be would that be correct? It's the only thing we could find. Okay. Nobody was doing anything to yeah. <laughs> finance anything otherwise. And then second, the big one, you know, is that now it's since it's considered equipment, aren't you dealing? Don't you deal with accelerated depreciation? Absolutely. Which is, uh, I don't know what it, what it was back then, but now it's, what, five years instead of 27 and a half? One year if you want it. One year if you want it. So you can accelerate is one year. Yeah. I mean, so you could, if you've got some sort of capital gains you want to get rid of, you can wipe it out almost completely, yep. you know, right off the bat. And additionally, um, and I don't know if, if North Carolina lets you get away with this or not, not all, I think all States do it, but maybe not. But since it's not fixed to the ground, it doesn't actually add to your property taxes. Correct. That is correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, consider it's considered personal property. Gotcha. 
so it's a total five acre facility now. How much of it is um, taken up by the the under roof storage versus the parking? At that location, we actually have tractor trailer parking, and uh, we have you know some just boat RV parking. It's probably about land wise. We probably got a, I would say maybe a third of our land is still the main building and the tenants and everybody in there. We have a tool rental company in the front portion and a retail sales, this equipment sales and our manufacturing equipment sales. And then we lease out the rest of the building to other tenants. And then probably another third of it is storage buildings, these modular units and containers and all. And then the back portion is the tractor trailer parking. So what did you, do you recall what your total out of pocket cost to buy and not including you already owned the land. What was the cost to, uh, open the doors on that facility back then? Well, that's interesting because we didn't really have a, an opening cost because what we did was took the tool rental business and our retail side of the business, and we used those same people to get started renting storage units until we built it up. And we basically, like I say, started with a few containers. You know, we would have somewhere, I think, let's just use each, I think it was around $3,000 per each 10 by 10 unit it's what we had in those modular units. By the time we'd get them in and get them assembled, that's a little bit higher than that now, but that was in that range. If we brought in a truckload, we'd have forty to $50,000 worth of you know, buildings at a time. We'd bring in and assemble, set them up. And so you did about eight to 10, that first uh, eight to 10 units at a time. And that the, each one of those units would cost about forty to $50,000 to bring in? Mm, per load. Per load and, and and your load and your labor to put them together. Okay, a lot of that was financed, correct? Because you, you all of it, all of, all it, was of financed. it. Yeah, we sometimes you could even get ninety day deferred payment if you wanted to on it, but you might have to pay one or two payments up front. And you basically take that. It's easy numbers. We've done it for years with equipment business. A little bit on the high side, if you just for estimating purposes. But take whatever your let's say it's fifty thousand dollars. Your payment is two percent of that per month. Gotcha. So it's about thousand bucks a month for a fifty thousand dollar five year payment plan. Each one of those units probably rents for how much per month? In between, it's about eighty eighty to eighty five dollars a month. You're looking at about eight thousand dollars a month in gross income off of that off of that or no? No, it'd be eight hundred. Eight hundred. Okay, yeah. Eight, I was say eight to really nine hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, now now you would have out of that truckload. Let's say you had ten buildings. 10 by 20 buildings that were then divided up into 10 by 10. So you would have twice that many 10 by 10s. So you'd have about 15 or 16,000 of gross income out of that because you get two, two 10 by 10s per each 10 by 20, each building being 200 square feet, you know, 10 by 20 feet. Gotcha. But the basic so we, concept is you're able to get, you're able to get those on site and have them start generating income almost before you're having to really put, much out as far as payment, correct? Right. Yes. Not everybody could go out unless they had an existing company with a credit tracking or, you know, some credit to be able with, you know, to be able to get that financing. But we had our equipment company that was already established, you know, that we had bought equipment and had, you know, financials and all sufficient to support that. Gotcha. And a, and a history. We've been in business a couple of years, you know, more than two years, which most people are looking for. Yeah. Gotcha. 
any major lessons learned on that first deal that you took on to subsequent deals? No, I mean it's it's a pretty easy process. Like I said, we knew going into it, it wasn't really as high, you know, cash flow as we wanted. But our goal was to build the business, and we felt like that was a a pretty low risk way to do it. And we eventually wound up in some down the road in some refinance and paying those off. I mean, the biggest challenge you got with them is they're not just a straight amortization like a house payment. You got to watch that. Is that sometimes they will just you're gonna, you're gonna pay the stream of payments regardless. Sometimes they'll give you a little bit of a discount for paying off early. But I'd say that's the biggest lesson you got to watch out for. And what does your what does your portfolio look like now? For self storage, yeah, just self storage. Well, we have that location, and then we you know kept growing the park until we got to where we didn't have room to park our own vehicles. Also, in two thousand eight, a friend of mine and I had bought a. 18 acre parcel about a mile down the road thinking we were just going to flip it you know land flip had a cell tower on it and a single family home and we um 10 days after we bought it and closed on it and got a residential mortgage to help you know he had some 1031 money he wanted to do some exchanging and then we put that in um so we got, I got a call on monday morning from my property manager wanted to know if my house had burned over the weekend. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, something was on the news. I said, well, let me go get in the vehicle and see what's happening. And I ride over there and sure enough, some kids are going out there playing and torch the house. So I lost my income, which I really needed at that time. But in a few years, we started doing some parking over there. We had, a, like I said, the cell tower was paying the taxes. And then, so we've got that 18 acres. We've continued to expand it up you know, with parking and also with storage units. And we've got, I guess, in the range of 450 parking and storage units combined with those two locations. So you're at two locations now? Yes. The second location is unmanned. We all do not have an office there. Everything's worked out of our main office or even in, in this year or before this year, we had been going remotely with a lot of that and, you know, doing remote move-ins. I told them I, my goal is to pull up to the gate, pull out your cell phone, rent a unit, drive in and go unload your stuff. Well, and it's really, it's where the industry's going. And that's really one of the big value adds that's that's out there. Of course, everybody's chasing it, which is to find these mom and pops who, you know, are still doing business like it's the 80s, you know, mm-hmm. no internet connection, no website, no, you know, pay by check or cash, you know, got to have a manager there on site to, you know, let them in the gate. I mean, it's just, uh, they're still out there. It's not quite as many as there once were because of people like us, but you, you touched on a couple of things that I want to talk about. Uh, and I can't believe it. I didn't ask you right off the bat, which is that you do tractor trailer parking. So for somebody who's not familiar with that at all, sort of what, um, who's your, who's your customer and how does it, does it differ at all much from, the storage business? Well, that's a great question. Yes, it does differ because there's another set of logistics you have to work with there. Uh, it is a lot of in and out traffic is the bad part. The good thing is those guys are community. It's primarily independent truckers and they'll have anywhere from one to even five trucks or something like that. And we have a waiting list right now where we're actually working through and we're, that is our one of our next expansion projects because we have so many people wanting and needing that. And they're 
there's more and more limitations on where they can park and they need it's a big need for it in the industry but the biggest thing there is you have to know who's parking there you have to know and this applies to any vehicle parking you have to know you know is it insured who's it titled with all the registration information we've got all that updated now where that's required to be entered on our website or as you rent a unit so we know you know what's going on with it so that if in case someone leaves it the you know abandons it or whatever else we know who's what gotcha and and to make sure you're not you know having chop shops using you as their warehousing and so how many how many trailer parking spaces would you have you you have across your portfolio well, just at the one load, the first location is the only one that we have. And I, we may have 20 or so there. It's not a lot. They want like to say they, we got a waiting list. They want more. So and we're looking at another 10 acre parcel right now. As soon as we get through all the ABC, the government agencies, yeah. maze, I call it to get through, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to get that facility up and going. Gotcha. And what square footage are we talking about to park a, a typical tractor trailer? Uh, well, it's 15 by 75 is the size we use for that. Pretty gotcha. typical. And does that include the actual rig or just the trailer? No, that's the rig and the trailer. Gotcha. And so these guys are, they, obviously, they live someplace. They can't park it in their neighborhood because the, yep. H- the HOA or the city or whatever. So they've got to they've park it here. And what does a typical 15 by 75 spot cost someone a month? I think our... Monthly is one. I believe we're at about one seventy-five. I think you have also you've also mentored uh, a lot of new and aspiring self-storage uh, investors. What are some of the major stumbling blocks or mistakes that you see them making? Well, that's a that's a long question. There. <laughs> why don't we Why don't we pick the one or two, the top well, one or I, two? I think the biggest challenge that you have in this business, getting into it, is of course finding the deal and i think a lot of people get in the you know they get into paralysis of analysis they get caught up it's a it's a sales business buying is a sales business i hate to say it that way but that's what it is and you got to have a funnel and you got to fill that funnel up the people we have that have been successful that's what they've done they understand that situation they understand the process they go out and do the marketing they do the minimum daily behaviors needed to bring those in and then they either have they know how to take it the rest of the way through or they find other team members to help them with it and i think understanding your strengths and weaknesses in that area you know just because you're a good marketer or you can fill up a funnel doesn't mean you can take it to the finish line or you can analyze the facility correctly there's a lot of steps in the process and we have you know the education and the systems to do it you just got to follow it and do it correctly, but getting that marketing funnel through is a big thing. There's deals out there. You just got to look. Yeah. You first define what you want, get your targets. And, you know, we were studying some of our sales training the other day and talking about be a sniper, really target your, you know, your market or where you want to go and zero in on it. And what would you say the average, you know, what the most successful students out there what would you say is does their general marketing funnel look like that's that's successful i think it's a hundred to one you got to look at a hundred facilities when i say look that could be on the internet or something 
And then you've got to, you know, maybe you may only analyze 20 or 30, really take them into, you know, pulling numbers and really getting deep into them to, to buy one facility. And most people just cannot grasp that quantity of, you know, looking at that many facilities. But that's kind of the numbers that I've, I've heard and looked at, and I think they're pretty close. If you don't set that kind of target, you'll get hung up and get emotionally involved, which is a bad thing. And then you won't be able to, you know, focus on the things that are important in, in getting into the business. Gotcha. One of the things that I've discovered is that, especially when you talk to, you know, somebody who's coming from the real residential real estate side of things, as far as a marketing funnel is, it's a much longer process of of building rapport and talking to a self-storage owner than it is talking to somebody who wants to sell their house or their rental property. It is a three to six month long relationship building process rather than a one month, hey, you got this rental house, I'll give you 60 cents on the dollar for it, uh, take it or leave it. It's much more about actually getting to know someone and being top of mind when they do eventually decide to sell. And it is a numbers game. How would you say, I mean, is it, um, are people using direct mail? Are they using cold calling? Are they using, uh, what sort of uh, marketing methods would you say are they using? I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want to hear well, you say. Well, and I, I think what I've seen, you know, is I think it's a combination of all of it inactive you know both passive what we call passive and active you've got to do some of both you can't just send out the mailers and expect someone to call you up and have the deal to hand it to you because you got to do that you've got to do the mailings then you need to do the follow-ups calls to them and i believe scott talks about it that you know it's like you're marrying their daughter yeah. because a lot of them have spent a lot of their life building this business and growing it up just like we do children yeah. And you, they want to know that they got somebody that's going to help take care of this business when they pass it off. One of the things that you excel at is owner financing and creative deal structuring. Can you talk a little bit, uh, talk to us a little bit about what some of those look like, and then we'll dig in a little bit more about how you how you use them. Well, I think the thing I brought up earlier about the, you know, how we how we got started in the business is one thing we did creatively to, you know, get into that. And I will say that since that time, if someone wanted to do it, I've also, you know, negotiated with one of the banks. And, and even now on our financing and all, we just were able to obtain bank financing on our facilities now that they're up and running and cash flowing. So that, you know, that, but there is companies out there and even with the SBA that will do 20 year financing because they'll even do it on somebody getting into the portable storage business and their vehicles and everything else. So there is 20 year money out there to do that. that was not available in 2008 when we were working with it. So I think that's, that's, that's a milestone and you know, we, we've done all kinds of things and we've done everything from you know, 0% financing, paying people out, you know, just payments till it's paid for. I've got one 11 acre site on a main highway that we'd love to do storage. We haven't been able to get it through all the, 
zoning situation so far, but we, I had no money and we had a house sitting right in the middle of it. This woman had that wanted to, was going to go to foreclosure and almost cut her property in two. So we bought the house with private money, uh, redeemed it. It went to auction and we have a 10 day redemption period in North Carolina. So we redeemed it out of the auction, which you can do that during that 10 day period. The, whoever owns it can go back and bring and pay for it. And we did that. The rest of the property, we told her, so we, we'll take it over. We put it into trust in our name, or in a trust name, and we pay her one-third of the net income. Unfortunately, there was a couple of little small commercial buildings on it that, uh, because she'd been out of more than six months. We could no longer use them like that. And basically, we've rented them out for storage since then, and we get a little bit of income off of it. You know, but we basically... We haven't made her any, been able to make her any payments because we've been able to pay the taxes. She's still living in a home on the site and been able to keep the home up for her. But otherwise, she would have lost it all, mm. either to property taxes or foreclosure. It was her parents' home that once you know, went to foreclosure. So that's one we've done. We've done things. Uh, you know, We just did a refinance and financed out an actual town on one of our warehouses. The town actually had uh, money that, a partner of mine that originally was in the business knew about, we went to them and said, we need a quarter of a million dollars. We'll you know, offer you 5% 15 years. I gave them a one page summary and that's all the qualifications we did. Mm. So we've done, done all kind of, all kind of different, uh, you know, structures. I've had people, you know, if we've sold their homes and then they would invest their the money with us, you know, become private lenders. We've helped people, you know, elderly people, especially that needed to had cash, they needed to invest somewhere. You know, we have a good bit of private money, people with IRAs, 401ks and things like that that need to invest money, you know, want to put it somewhere and get good stable returns. We've done a lot of that. I've often, when I, when I think about creative financing and, and ways to broach that subject with a potential seller, it's often about trying to solve their problem in a way that makes, you know, that makes it a win-win for both of you. You know, you, mm-hmm. you described having somebody who, you know, had a tax problem, they had no income, they're about to lose the entire, the entire property and finding a way to basically, you know, keep them in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that often what you're, how you're trying to broach the subject with sellers is just trying to find out, you know, what's their, what's their chief pain point and trying to solve that problem for them? Absolutely. And that's something we go through. We've, we've been a student of Sandler's training for many years, and that's exactly what they do. First thing you got to do is get your bonding and rapport down. As you said, you got to build a, you know, build some rapport with those people. And then the next thing, they use a submarine model. And the next thing in there is, is you've got to find their pain, you know, and, and I don't mean just their, you know, surface level pain. You really got to find emotionally what's going on with them. I was interviewing a guy. We looked at a facility recently. The guy's in his 80s, I think. He's a late eight, late 70s, early 80s. He says, I've got a 90-acre farm. I don't want to be out here anymore. I don't want to mess with this business. I want to go play on my farm. And we talked. And so I, but if you don't ask about owner finance, you'll never get it. Yeah. So you've got to always ask. And some people don't want to. they got other places they want to put the money. They, they don't want, they're not interested but then others will say, sure, I don't really need all that money. Maybe I need some for a specific use right now. I need to go do these few things. And then from there, uh, you know, where else are they going to get the kind of returns we can give them on self-storage? Yeah. Well, and you can often broach the subject just by asking them, like you said, what, do you, what, what are your plans? To, if, you, if we 
sell this facility, if you sell this facility to me, what are your plans to do with the money? How are you going to handle the capital gains taxes uh, mm-hmm. is sometimes a great way to broach the, the idea of owner finance because some of them have never even thought about it. Um, they just think, oh, I'm going to sell this. We're going to get a million dollars. And they don't think that, oh, you're going to have to pay, you know, <laughs> capital gains on that. Oh, and yeah. now you're suddenly having to sort of explain to them, well, one of the, way, one of the ways we might be able to sort of ease that burden is to spread the payment out over a period of time so that it lessens your capital gains hit. So, yes, absolutely. Well, Wendell, what does a, um, in just, I know you've got a lot of, you got your, your fingers in a lot of pies, but what does your storage business typically look like day to day? I mean, how much time are you having to spend per week on just the storage side? I don't know. That's a hard conversation. Well, hard let me question. quantify that. Are you talking about on the existing business? Neil? Yeah, yeah, and 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 looking. I don't mean not the mentorship side, but the uh, just the, you know, just the the operations and acquisition. Well, on the operations side, I mean, I really have very little, if any, involvement with that. You know, I, I oversee it, look at the numbers some, but the day to day operations. You know, I've got team people, team members that take, I've got an executive assistant. She oversees that and we have a, an actually proper, a property manager at the location there. And between the two of them, they take care of that on a day-to-day operations. And then as far as, you know, the next level in acquisitions is probably where I spend most of my time right now, you know, is looking at that and staying educated and looking at projects, looking at deals as they come through seeing and that's an area I need to expand in more is somebody to help me analyze those, you know, and be able to pull the numbers together on a quick, you know, on a quick basis and be able to make make a decision, is this something we need to pursue or, you know, move on to the next one. You you and I were on a mastermind just recently where where I brought this up to somebody and and talked about because it's it's something we all deal with, which is when we do get that deal flow going it can get overwhelming pretty fast and you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, you got deals coming across all the time and night, I would say probably 90, 90% of them are not something you're going to, that you can very quickly say, no, I'm not interested. Um, but sometimes there needs to be a certain level, a very high level initial screening process, whether it be just, Hey, is this in a in an area where the population is growing? Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, what's the population density? You know, we, we both know that self-storage kind of exists in one, three, five, 10 mile markets. If you're in a really rural market, what's the population density of those? And um, I, I got sort of smacked down by a good friend of our friend of ours named Scott Lewis. And I, I, I need to have him on the show to talk about this where he was kind of smacking me down and going, well, I don't, you know, we have, we have our deal analysis in house, you know, I'm not going to hand it off to some, you know, uh, VA in the Philippines, who's not creative. And, and he was right. At the same time, I sort of say, you know, one, Scott, you've got an entire, you know, Scott Lewis, you've got an entire organization, you know, that can handle that. Uh, little old me, Neil, with a full-time job and, and a family that wants my attention. I might have to, for the time being, I might have to hand off some of the low level stuff to somebody. And that's a very long drawn out way for me to ask you, how do you envision being able to sort of hire some of that out? Well, that's a great question. I mean, my daughter and my executive assistant both have, have done that. They've been through the trainings and everything and attended a lot of the masterminds and academies and all. And they're both mentors with Scott's organization. My daughter has a has a child now, so she's, you know, 
more tied down with that than she was and assisted And we've actually reduced our staff on our residential side. So it's put more, you know, with Elizabeth, my assistant, she's it's put more pressure back on her to take care of a lot of other operations. And she's a, more involved in the day-to-day operations. So, uh, you know, we're probably going to have to either, you know, find someone to, if we can find a subcontractor to do it or bring it in house and hire somebody else. That's really what we're looking at doing and have someone who can really dig into the details on that. Well, Wendell Long, thank you so much for sharing with our audience today. Uh, If any of our listeners want to find out more about you or reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, probably email is a good way. Just my name, W-E-N-D-E-L-L. L-O-N-G, the number nine at Gmail. And you can try my cell phone. I don't answer it all the time because if it's not a number I recognize, I probably won't answer. But you can call it and leave a voicemail, 704-533-2961. All right. You you asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Like I said, I will respond as I can and if I can and when I can. So, yeah, I think it's been a great business. We love it. It's been a good fit for us. May not be for everybody. Find out what your sole purpose is and your investor DNA. And if you want to know more about that, let me know. We we that's some things I've studied and learned over the years. Is you know, are you are you doing the right stuff at the right time? At you know, at the right time of your life. And you know, that's uh, I give the Lord the credit for all of it. It's all His stuff, and I like to do my do my part to be a good steward of it and give back and help others be all they can be and help everything be all it can be. That's my mantra. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. So unique opportunity and you're doing a great thing here. Well, thank you very much. It was great. Great having you Wendell. It was, it was great advice. Uh, and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Okay. That was Wendell long from mint Hill self storage. It was wonderful talking to him. He's such a wealth of knowledge. You know, when you've got somebody who has been a serial entrepreneur like him, um, they bring so much more to the game than just your average self-storage investor, because it is important to remember that self-storage is not just real estate. It is, it is a, a business as well. What was the key lesson learned for me in this interview? I would say at the end of the day, This is a sales business and you have to find a way to fill your funnel. He talked about needing to analyze about a hundred self-storage facilities in order to buy one. And well, you need to figure out a way to fill your funnel with at least 100 self-storage facilities. However you do that, whether it be direct mail marketing, phone calls, you have to find a way to do that. It's just, you're dead in the water if you're not, you know, whether it be reaching out to self-storage brokers or marketing directly to these owners. So uh, important, a very important factor. (laughs) How did he acquire his knowledge? Uh, He paid, he did a paid mentorship with Scott Myers and uh, did his home study course. And he also, you know, he was already an entrepreneur long before he got into self-storage. So I think he learned a lot from just being in business uh, that way. His, His dad, grew up and sounds like he grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So, uh, it helps to, helps to have, uh, to be in the business and the family business. How much money did it take for them to get started in this chosen niche? Uh, this is a tough one to answer because he already owned a five acre parcel that had uh, a business on it and they then, uh, built in phases, which is one of the superpowers of self-storage that, uh, that I love. 
and then they started clearing off one acre parcels at a time and either doing tractor trailer parking on them to generate income, or they uh, brought in modular pre-built self-storage buildings from uh, Betco that cost about uh, forty to fifty thousand dollars a pop to to uh, to get there. But they were they were financed at the time. It was two thousand eight. It was a five year term, so he said, you know, it was tough to get them to cash flow because uh, you know the payment. You know, a lot of times they had to be paid off in five years. Uh, now he said the terms, the financing terms have gotten a lot better. Sometimes they got 20 year terms. Uh, and we talked an awful lot about one of the, the, the magic of a lot of that. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to that part. How much time does he spend on his real estate endeavors now that it's up and running? You know, this is a, a tough question to answer because Wendell has his hand uh, in a lot of different businesses. Um, he said most of the day-to-day uh, operations of his facilities are, are operated by uh, his executive assistant, but uh, he spends most of his time in acquisition mode, finding and analyzing deals. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? Uh, I would say mostly they stay home, um, but they're starting to branch out a little farther. Uh, he talked about how, uh, how his kids don't like to, uh, don't like to travel very much. They like to stay close to home. So Okay, once again, that was uh, Wendell Long from Mint Hill Self Storage. You can find him, uh, you can email him at wendelllong9 at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and call him at uh, area code 704-533-2961. Realize that he probably won't pick up the first time, but leave him a message. That's all. Once again, uh, we're doing this all again next week. I'm Neil Henderson. Let's hit the road. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.